Hey, Honeymooners, you can find ad-free episodes, Moshe's DJ sets, merch discounts, and so much more on our Patreon. Check it out at patreon.com slash endlesshoneymoon or click the link in the description of this episode. Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, no. Hello? Yes, good. Good? Wow, you almost orgasmed when you heard your own voice. I love it. I love it. Welcome to the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. It's me, Moshe. And I'm Natasha. Natasha, you look cute today. Oh, thanks. <clears throat> you too. Dandy Del Mar, girl. Oh, yeah. You're, I paid for all my clothes. Yeah, well, Dandy Del Mar, they hooked me up. They care about leisure. But you look really good. You look, you look like you're going to conduct an interview, but also to seduce the person that you're interviewing. Ooh, I like that vibe. That's kind of what I'm going for, actually. Uh, you know what I'm going for, Natasha? What's that? Uh, I'm going for pre-orders for my new book. Let's do it. Well, I mentioned it in last week's episode, but it is a, it's available right now. I mean, it's this available. Is, it's available, and you can click. You can click. You can download this mug, and and here's the actually the really awesome part. If you pre-order my book. Um, it gives you uh, access to this online event that I'm doing. I'm going to do because it's a memoir in six scenes. I'm doing a uh, I'm doing a, a six person moderated online panel, and so it'll be six moderators, each from one of the worlds that the that the book takes place in. Um, have I explained what the book's about on this podcast yet? Um, it's called Subculture Vulture. And I worked all pandemic on it. I'm super, super proud of it. It's basically um, a, a comedic history book about the six subcultures that I've spent my life in. It's uh, and it's a memoir. So each of the worlds I like, do, I explore the history of them, it kind of like in like a Chuck Klosterman-y kind of like Sarah Vowell, Bill Bryson-y kind of a way. And then at a certain point, I enter into the narrative of the history of that world, and it becomes a memoir about uh, my time in that. And the six worlds are Burning Man. You guys know. I go to Burning Man. The rave scene where I was a DJ and an ecstasy dealer and a promoter uh, in the early 90s. Uh, a sober ecstasy dealer, even. Have we ever talked about that? Yes. I used to sell... I don't think we have sign language interpreting and deafness. You know, I was an interpreter for 15 years and my whole family's deaf. Uh, AA, you guys know, AA and rehab uh, and Hasidic Judaism and Judaism. And of course, stand up comedy. Those are the six worlds. And let me just say, I've read two, three of your chapters and you're such an amazing writer. Oh, honey. It's you. why I fell in love with you. If you hadn't written your first memoir, the new current bestseller, Casher in the Rye. I don't think I'd be with you because I was like, oh, this guy's like deep. Oh, this guy's smart. Oh, this guy's cute. Oh, this guy's cool. Oh, like I was like, oh, I was in. And another female comedian who I will not name told me she also got a crush on you when she read it. And that's what piqued my interest to read it. Roseanne. <laughs> you guys got to be Roseanne. Right? It was Roseanne. Must have been. But this book, I'm so proud of this book because it was like, it was a heavy book to write. It, it took a lot of work. I had to get like books and cross-reference the history. So if you're like a fan of comedy, it's super funny. If you're a fan of memoir, um, it's very personal and very emotional. Uh, Memoir-y? Memoir-y. Uh, comedy it, memoir it's got what you need and if you're like if you love history uh it's got that too but it's all super funny irreverent history um, uh, subculture vulture is the name of the book i'm sorry that this is an ad but this is the thing that i am most passionate about other than this podcast and other than our family uh please if you are a listener to this podcast uh if i've brought you any joy if uh in in the pandemic or now from listening to this podcast truly if everyone who listens to this podcast pre-ordered my book it would be a bestseller and it would change my life and i would be able to uh sell books probably for the rest of my life um oh my god can you guys please buy this book oh wait what's the job that gets you out of the house though mosh uh, listen, I'll get an office. Just please pre-order the book. The landing page for where you can pre-order my book is in uh, the description of today's episode. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm begging you, but I'm saying as a listener to this podcast um, that we've, uh, that we've been putting out for free for, you know, uh, uh, years now, and I love doing it. It would mean absolutely the world to me if you pre-ordered this book. Let me just say, okay, I'm so sorry. I know this is self-indulgent, but I'll just quickly tell you a couple of the things that people have said about this book. 
Dak Shepard, former guest of this here very podcast, he graciously agreed to read the AA segment of my book. He's known in some recovery circles. He says, Moshe's travels through recovery are laid out beautifully, honestly, and effortlessly. I don't know that I've ever met, read a more succinct description of the entire experience. With equal parts authority and humility, Subculture Vulture is an excellent, an elegant and hilarious reminder that none of us really knows anything for certain. I mean, that's pretty good, right? My rave chapter? You messed up excellent and elegant, though. I think these people, under, these are honeymooners. They understand. I don't always say You are thing. excellent and elegant. You are, too. Your outfit is excellently elegant. Thank you. The rave chapter? Yeah. You ever heard of the band The Chainsmokers? I have. Here's what they had to say about my rave chapter. Subculture Vulture is an electrifying, hilarious, and surprisingly emotional trip through the worlds that Moshe has inhabited, including the one we share, the world of electronic dance music. It takes us on a trip through the rave scene of the 90s, and you won't feel like you had to be there because you'll feel like you are. I am not kidding when I say this is the best thing that I've ever written and uh, the thing that I'm most excited about putting out into the world right now. And you guys, you are the true fans. You honeymooners, you're the true fans. So I'm done. I'm done. We're going to start the episode now. Natasha has a much more important and comedic question for me, but I just wanted to put that out there. Pre-order this bad boy. Uh, yeah, I wanted to know... Um how often you think of the Roman Empire? <laughs> what? Why? Uh, because I want to get a viral TikTok trend going. Oh, what is the what is the trend? You're not supposed to ask. Just trust me. Oh, it's a trend. how often do I think about the Roman Empire? That's an interesting question. Um, I would say I probably do consider the Roman Empire annually. I do a bit in my <laughs> act about the Roman Empire, uh, where I mention the Roman Empire. So. I mention the Roman Empire at least at least 10 to 20 times a year. I would say I think about it daily. No. Nero like dancing. You're Italian over, too. Over the Isn't that the one where the guy is like dancing and yes. having a great time while the world collapses? Yes, 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 yes. That's kind of like Trump a little bit. Like it just felt like, you know, well, that's, the, that's the new Kali Yuga as they call it. It's the end of mm, civilization. You know, um darkness has come i will say that i having lived in italy um the roman empire it looms large in a depressing way over the entire youth of italy in what way like what i noticed being in italy and i loved italy and i loved all the young italians that i met and hung out with there um they were all really cool and smart and but they all had this vibe of like yeah this is a bit of a dead place. Because it's all young people or old people, right? There's no middle. No, it was... I. The impression I got was like, our best days are are behind us by, uh. by 2,000 years. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. They're like, we had this time in history. We were the center of the universe. And now, since then, things, you know, they're good. Obviously, I mean, it's just so funny to um be to be talking to someone that lives in like aesthetic absolute fucking paradise like literally living right. in tuscany it's going, like as beautiful as La not as beautiful but the weather is as great as los angeles it's more beautiful Wait, but with ruins it's the most like beautiful. there's just like a leaning like literally like leaning ruins like kind of like all over the town there is a word in italian i have heard that was invented um, that the, the word is to describe the, the feeling of exhaustion you get from looking at too many beautiful things at once. What's the word? I don't, I don't know Italian, but it was coined after somebody went to Florence. That's how beautiful that so place is. So they're like, like they have ennui about the beauty or something. They have ennui. That all, it's, it's, it's the, my impression was they have ennui about the fact that all there is is beauty. All we've got is the most delicious food, the most beautiful landscape, the most beautiful women. And no just, strip malls. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, but what they don't have is like the, the oomph of the Americas. And I think that a lot of countries don't have, um, you know, like center of the world energy. But they aren't haunted by the ghosts of their center of the world past. And that is what I think about con contemporary Italy. Well, that is Definitely not what the challenge was. <laughs> I don't think way that would go, too sophisticated yeah. for TikTok. I honey. don't believe it's that's going viral on TikTok, but it does speak to what a erudite and elegant, elegant and excellent thinker I am. Please order the book. Okay, 
Tosh, we're going to do an all written in episode today. Oh, I love those. We get to talk to some people who've maybe sent us a letter. Sorry if you sent us this a while ago. We can't get to these all the time, but I am happy to bring. So sorry. I was just cracking open my uh, brand new cherry blossom. You know, this is a radio show, right? Well, the podcasting to me is the new radio. And it's taken off all the strictures of old radio. And one uh, one thing I want to say is our sponsor, LaCroix. Yeah. Our sponsor, Seagram's. What, when are we going to... By the way, I was just thinking about podcasting advertising the other day. I love our advertisers. When are like... When is Pepsi going to get on the advertising train? You know, when when does when does Clorox start doing ads on hey, these I like, podcasts? I like Waterloo. We should just I love Waterloo. We should just get, do ads for the drinks that we like. Uh, my point is not I I'm, I'm with you. I like the the products that we that we do ads for. I mean, some are honestly some of the greatest products that I've in, entered into my life. I'm I'm uh, you know I'm loving that motherfucking Helix mattress. But my point is it just feels like podcasting is so big. How come like uh, Dinty Moore doesn't do any podcast? How come Chef Boy RD isn't buying ad space on podcasts these days? That's all I'm asking. Because the people who call into our podcast and listen to our podcast are under forty, and people under forty don't eat Chef, Chef Boy RD. honey, isn't that the very problem that um, a hot ad read would solve? Hey, Endless Honeymoon podcast listeners, are you starving like Marvin and need a little pick-me-up to get your belly full? Try Beefaroni from <laughs> Chef Boy RD now with real pork meatballs. Okay, all right. Let's 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 take some of these messages. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. I'm going to call them messages. Hello. Hoping to get some advice on how to handle my new coworkers, specifically one guy who is kind of a jerk. I started a new job at a cafe in Los Angeles. All right, this is a temporary job. That's good. And quickly realized everyone that works there are best friends. Annoying. So I'm very much the odd one out and not sure how to include myself. Specifically, one guy is very open about how close he is with everyone. He sounds like a loser, first of all. He'll invite everyone to drinks but me, and at this point, straight up ignores me when I talk to him. Would Yay. love to get some advice, Yay. Marissa. This is a nightmare. This is toxic, right? Toxic. This, I don't, I mean, it's a cafe job. I, I don't know. I just feel like life is kind of too short. Do I feel, do I seem very, um, I, I understand that people need to work in cafes. I was a waitress for 15 years, I think. I mean, I was a waitress for so long. I used to like actually pray on my knees in my kitchen, in my apartment saying, please, if there's a God, make me not, I would have dreams of dropping trays. I hated waitressing. <laughs> anyway. Oh, you would have nightmares about dropping yes, trays? Yes. Like it was just like, I was just always melting into this like terrible job. So I understand having a terrible job, but for me, I'm like, these people seem fucking annoying. Oh, a cafe job should be fun. They made it fun. He's excluding you. You don't want to go talk to a manager. I would I would keep the job, be cool, be chill, have your own plans. She's being iced out. And then look for another job. Yeah, that's probably the right advice. I'm sorry it's boring advice. You know what I would actually say? Are you working in a cafe that's no fun at all? Try the old school cafe that's as fun as you can think. Denny's. The International House of Pancakes. We'll treat you like family. Um, here's what I actually think. I, I kind of agree with you. I think yours is the easiest one. It's just like keep smiling and look for another job. But I also think, I I know that it always comes down to this, but why not go up to the guy? Oh, my God. You just never like direct conversation. I don't like confrontation. But it's, I'm not suggesting. All right, what are you suggesting? I'm not suggesting go up to the guy and go, hey, motherfucker, why aren't you talking to me? You go up to the guy with a big smile and go, hey, like, you know, it, have I done something to offend you? Like, I just feel like you, if he's straight up ignoring her at work. Cause I will say, I bet you, I would guess about 30 to 40% of this is in her head. That is very true. Possibly. But if Thir- you go, 30% I would I say. have found. The because success, I always think people hate me and I, they don't. But if they straight up ignore, I have found the success rate of going up to someone and saying, hey, I'm, maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm being a little self-conscious and this is all in my head. But I feel like. Yeah, I know you guys are also close friends, and obviously, I don't think I should be your your best buddy. But I kind of feel like you don't really talk to me. Have I done something to offend you or hurt you? Like I I I want to I I don't need to be your best friend, but I want to make this working th- this place that we work like feel good. Can I? Is there something I can do? I have to tell you something you're not going to want to hear. Let me hear it. It's two words. Yeah. Male privilege. What's male privilege? This woman is supposed to confront this man as to why he's oh, not looking at her. Oh, you're saying I like to be a little scary. 
No, I'm saying it's easy for a guy to come up to someone, but for a woman to come up to like a guy who's excluding her and like confront him. Who said it was supposed to be easy? Life's not easy. Yeah, but we're like always worried about our safety but too. What is it? Yeah, I hear you. That's why you do it in the environment of work. But what does it matter that male privilege exists? May, okay, maybe I'm talking out of real male privilege here. But what does it matter that that certain um, certain strata of privilege exists and makes it easier for a person to operate in the world? Obviously, that's true, and I accept that. But it, what does that mean? What is the result of that? Therefore, you shrink and never say anything, or no, I think you have to like, unfortunately do something that's really uh, uncomfortable. But I'm not suggesting she goes up to him and says, hey, motherfucker, treat me with respect. I'm saying you say, is you know, hey, like, is there something I, I, I've done that, that uh, you know, uh, somehow. I would, see, now what I would do, and this is probably the wrong thing, I would say something to one of the girls. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And I interesting. would say, like, do you know what's up with him or should I be, like... But then I feel that like becomes... You're right. That might be smart. That does become kind of gossip. I'm just not trying to come up to some man who's acting like a five-year-old and, right. like, have to talk to him but, for but three he, minutes. But here's the problem with not doing it is she still works there, right? So she... So the choices are... Um, do nothing and work in a, an environment where she's constantly uncomfortable forever or have a conversation where she's theoretically uncomfortable temporarily and it might result in her uh, in, in her becoming less uncomfortable. Now, what if he thinks he like she's coming on to him and now she likes him or something? I, what? I don't know. Like, I just Who cares what, what he thinks. She's not. I don't know. I would love to know. What people think. I know that we have a lot of, uh, would we say a majority female listenership on this podcast? I'm curious if people think I'm just like talking out of my uh, dickhead over here. No, I hear you that it, you have to grow and you have to confront people, but you just have to know that behind every confrontation is the, the risk threat of, of male the, violence. the threat of violence yeah, or, yeah. Or, or sexual or violence. Yeah, like no, I hear there's you. so much no, I that, hear you. You, that you could be afraid of. And because, you know. But wait a second. I, I might like, be tripping. No, you're not tripping. I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm trying to take it in. But also, I feel like the odds of having a, a, a direct conversation with another man and it turning into something actually violent are higher between two men than between That's a man true. and a woman. That's true. I But I also hear what you're saying that that it's a little scarier of a conversation for a, a, a woman to have with a man. Than I mean, I've, I've seen a man like calling after me like... My dog didn't do nothing to you. And yeah. like like walking. Well, I've also had confrontations with men. Walking and women. past, you know, walking in a forest by myself, you know, like I've. So I'm always more afraid of men because they're stronger and they probably carry more guns than women have. You know what would help a lot with this fear? Mm. I'm going to be honest. Oh, my God. Don't say a German Shepherd. Well, I'm just throwing it out there. Okay, There's a kind go. of dog. Okay, we have another you have one. to go. <laughs> we just started the podcast. Where yeah, are you going? Read this, honey. We're uh, not getting a German Shepherd. All right. Dear Natasha and Moshe, I've been a fan of your podcast since the very first episode and following you both for years before that. Thank you for the laughs over the years. Well, you're welcome. Pre-order, pre-order my book, okay? If you're really saying thank you. My husband and I have been together for a little over five years. I'm in my late 20s. And he's in his early 30s. During the honeymoon phase of our relationship, it's a phase? For us, it's been endless. <laughs> we were all... It's, over- so, it's so endless, we're high-fiving now. That's right. Uh, we were, Dude, Natasha and I high-five at least five nights a week. Uh, we were all over each other. Fast forward to today, I feel shameful anytime I try to initiate sex. Shame. I know this is natural during relationships, decrease sex due to less mystery and more security, but I'm reaching a point of resentment. My husband rarely ever initiates sex, so normally I take on the role. I'd say 95% of the time I initiate sex, I am rejected. If I show any sadness after being rejected, he reflects a similar sadness and will say things like, you know I find you attractive and this is hard for me too. Occasionally he'll offer to go down on me if I'm rejected, but that's not what I want. I want him to want me. I've tried doing kinks I know he likes, getting dolled up, planning times for us to have sex, doing date nights, and nothing seems to work. We don't have any kids, nor plan to for some time, so there is no issue there. Anytime I try to broach the subject of mismatched libido, he gets defensive, hurt, and won't engage in a meaningful way. In every other way, he is my life partner. Times have been a little hard lately, but we've endured worse. He reminds me verbally all the time that he loves me and thinks I'm beautiful. We have plenty of platonic physical intimacy, too. 
hugging, kissing, cuddles, holding hands, but I feel like I engage a large portion of that as well. Plus, not to be vain, but I know I'm very attractive. I'm trying to, I like this, I'm trying to be the compassionate in all of this, but it's just getting harder and harder. I don't want anyone else or have any thoughts of cheating. At the end of the day, I just want to be a lover as well as a partner. Thank you both and stay well. The Riz Queen. This is. I wish it was the Jizz Queen. I was, so does she. <laughs> so does she. What's this guy's deal? Well, I. Do you relate to this? Is he impotent? Do I relate to this? No, I mean, do I, no, have you I'm ever heard of machine. this? Have you ever? I'm just saying, have you ever heard of this where someone's like, no, no, I'm so in love with you. Let's cuddle, but then they they reject almost 95% of your sexual acts and they don't yeah, initiate sex. If, so that you're, it's basically they're either gay or cheating impotent. on you. Oh, cheating? So he's. No, I'm not saying he's cheating. At first, I was reading this and I was thinking, is she sure this dude is faithful and not just getting his sexual, um, you know, stuff like somewhere else? But then the more I read it, it kind of didn't feel like that to me. And I think your question is the question is what's going on here? And the problem is I see this on this podcast so much. Do you have any thoughts? Go, go. The problem here is that people are having a conversation about the problem, you know, but they're not having a conversation about the, the the foundations of the problem. The problem is not that he's uh, that he's rejecting your sexual advances. That is the symptom of the problem. The problem is that there's something going on in your relationship or with his relationship with intimacy that you're not talking about. You don't even know what's wrong. And saying, please initiate sex will never get you that answer, right? That's what I was thinking. It's never going to give you that answer. Because there's something below the the sex rejection that's wrong. I don't know what it is. Cheating. He's gay. He's got trauma that came up later, and he was molested, and he didn't know he he had stuffed that that memory until recent. There's something else there, and until you guys open that and put some oxygen and sunlight onto it, it's just going to continue to rule your relationship. Did she say in this? We remind me that he shuts her down when she brings it up. Yes, he uh, says. It says. Um, uh, she's rejected 95% of the time. He sometimes says, okay, I'll go down on you. <laughs> Anytime I try to broach the subject of mismatched libido, he gets defensive, hurt, and won't engage oh, in a meaningful this, way. This happened to me too. Mm-hmm. This is what I was telling uh, Meg Stalter was that when she was here. A um, week ago. I told a and guy. And we're in the same outfits. It wasn't <laughs> earlier today. I'll tell you that right now. I told a guy that I wanted to talk about the fact that he never wanted to have sex and he shut me down. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that's why I think it's bad to talk about sex. <laughs> but that so, is- so I'm just saying that is what people do when they don't want to talk about it. But I have further thing to say, which is you'll never be happy in this relationship wanting them to initiate sex and it never happening. You're, that's not going to bring you happiness. So you have to tell them you want to talk about it or you have to make arrangements to move out, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like you want to talk about male privilege. I mean, the fact that you had a conversation with a guy who was um, withholding from you sexually and he got upset and your takeaway was, ah, (laughs) I guess I shouldn't, you shouldn't talk about sex. Exactly, because just because he was a man, I was like, oh, he must know. It's like ingrained in your... DNA I mean, or something. I'm not sure if it's just because he's a man because I could envision the same situation happening in uh, with a wo- with a man coming up to a woman who's withholding sex and going, but that's not the that's not the right lesson. The right lesson is he was doing something unreasonable and wouldn't engage. There's a serious problem. But it's like, not unreasonable to not fuck someone. Yes, I w- it is. You think that's unreasonable? Absolutely. In yes. a in a in a relationship in a romantic yes. relationship yeah unless you're like they, they're having, like i'll go down on you every six weeks well, look, i mean that is not good look i know that life is complicated and that there are a million different reasons that people b- become uncomfortable or are uncomfortable with sex some of them are, tr- are trauma-based and and they are real and should be respected i'm not saying that they shouldn't but it does not mean that it should be acceptable for you the partner of that person to just have a sexless relationship that's it's not acceptable on some level something has to give and 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 i'll add another thing to it you can't it is unacceptable to be in a sexless relationship with a person that will not engage in a conversation about why it is that right that's that to me you're now at the point where you are um what if it was you know this line got to me in every other way he is my life partner uh and you know um 
like it was all of these like this is everything is good but it it's like me saying oh yeah it's great i have a great relationship except for the fact that he's verbally abusive to me when he's not verbally and physically abusing me he cooks for me he rubs my back he tells me i'm up like no that isn't that's not how that works a romantic relationship has romance and and all this other stuff as well you can't just take a major pylon of that out so Okay, here's my advice. Do you have an advice? Do you have an no, advice? No, go ahead, hon. My advice here is very obvious. You, it's to have this uncomfortable conversation where you say, "Not I want to have a, I, not I want to have a conversation about our mismatched libido." Right, because that's already making him seem. The language is kind of degrading or but something. I don't think it's degrading. I mean, it's true, but you are embarrassing. You, there needs to be what what our therapist, our couples counselor, um calls have we ever admitted that we could do couples counseling jesus christ that's humiliating um and what our couples counselor calls the meta conversation this is time for the meta conversation hey we're not having sex i've tried to bring it up to you a lot and it always feels like um it turns into conflict we need to have a conversation about that conversation because it's not acceptable for us to not be romantic and not be allowed to talk about it i'm this is a boundary for me. Mm -hmm. We have to talk about it. We have to go to therapy. I have to figure out why this is happening because if not, this isn't going to work. This relationship will not work. Maybe he can't have sex. Maybe he's libidoless. Are there men out there who just want to have sex like once every like three months? Yeah, sure. There are men with a bunch of, it's not like men are horny and women aren't. And that's the way things are. <laughs> it's just, that's just not realistic. Some men have women are horny. I'm just saying. And men are ho are more are horny, responsible for rape. <laughs> That's how horny they are. I I will agree with you. Statistically, men are seem hornier than women. Yes, and, and definitely, I'll give you that. Um, uh, but my point isn't that. My point is like this guy might have had sexual trauma. He might be impotent and embarrassed about it. He might be um, seriously depressed. He might have a, a medication thing, like for depression that he's taking, and he uh, it's destroyed his libido. It, he doesn't. Who knows what it is? Because she doesn't know, so we don't get to know. That that part is not unacceptable. Where something has happened, where you are no longer sex. I mean, it's not acceptable, but it happens. The part where you refuse to talk about it with your romantic partner, that's the part where you're no longer a good partner. You're actually a bad partner and you deserve to be cheated on. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, straight up, if this woman were to go out and fuck somebody at a bar, I'd be like, yeah, makes sense to me. What I would do is I would rewind this and whatever Moshe said, I would just say to them. Just Ooh, I like the sound it. of that. I mean, you have a very, you're very good at being succinct. All right, here's another one. Well, succinct means like I don't talk very much. And no, I think but you you pack a lot of information in neutral language. I'm not good at that. Like I need a script, well, and I think it's okay to have a script. And you just—that's why I like to make phone calls if I have to say hard things that are hard, because I can write them down and look mm. at it. But see, that's the thing that you're good at, Natasha. You've got tips and tricks on wisdom that I would never think of, like writing a thing down to make sure. Like, um, you've got all these little uh, nuggets of wisdom. You're a it's scrap. What? It's just being scrappy. You are very scrappy. Yeah. You. You're, I always call you a big pile of scrap. And you are um, excellence. I am harmonious. <laughs> wait, uh, elegant excellence yes. is what I am. Hey, Tosh. Yeah, Mosh. You're wearing a very nice outfit. And I'm noticing that you're looking... A little busty tonight. You know, I didn't usually wear bras until Honey Loves became a sponsor. Are they comfortable? They're very comfortable. It's like the look of an underwire bra. But what I love about it is it doesn't feel like wearing an underwire mm. bra, which is because underwire bras make your you don't tits kind of like I wear underwire pushed up. <laughs> but I will say that like I used to just like run home and like die. I would sometimes take my bra off in the car. Mm. But this bra is so freaking comfortable I don't even know it's on. Also, if you're tired of bras that cause a big bulge in the back, Honey Loves bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent bra Ooh, bulge. I know you need that, bulge. Moshe. Ooh. And then I heard they got this really relaxed bra called the V-Bra. It offers the support of a traditional bra, but without the underwire altogether. Also, it does not stop there. Honey Love has more than just bras. They have incredibly comfortable shapewear, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. 
Honey Love has you covered for the everyday look, workouts, weddings, and more. Treat yourself to the best bras on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash honeymoon. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com slash honeymoon. Get the most comfortable bra you have ever owned. Can I read the next line? Yeah. Okay. Ready? Cinched, snatched, and lifted. It's hot girl season. Thanks to Honey Love. How'd I do? Better than I would have. Okay. Hi, guys. My husband and I have been together only a year when I got pregnant with our daughter. We decided we'd do this thing together and moved in, got married when I was three months pregnant. Now we're approaching our two-year anniversary. While I truly believe he loves me and our daughter with all of his heart, since I've been living here, my husband has been so insanely Mm. lazy He rarely cooks, and when he does, he leaves a giant mess. We'll wash a single tiny load. This is like, they're just saying this so I can make fun of them, probably. Okay. Um, He'll only wash a tiny load of just his laundry, and in the process, pull out the bigger loads of our stuff. Moshe's definitely done this. And leave it in the basement. Moshe, by the way, can I just say how Moshe takes out laundry? Can I just say, he takes it out of the dryer and leaves it on the floor. I have. That is how you do laundry. And and I'm like, what is that? pile of clothes on the floor of the but basement wait a minute. I, and you're like oh that's the clean clothes okay listen i've got some issues i can't get through this ladder. <laughs> i've got some issues and i'll admit that okay oh and by the way can i just say um you know when i was a kid i was diagnosed with adhd mm-hmm. i was on medication for it and then i got sober and um oh and you didn't want to take the medication anymore well i'll, I'll tell the story because it's a biographical story but or you could guess at how it goes <laughs> it's up to you <laughs> okay, I can tell this is a touchy subject, so I'm going to stand back. Then when I got sober, um, you know, at 15, like um, pretty much 99, I thought all, but let's say 99% of like all the symptoms of, because I got diagnosed with all this shit, depression, conduct disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, ADHD, like all this shit. And then I got sober and it all like went away. And I, I used to tell, I used to say in 12 step groups, like what I had was undiagnosed alcoholism. You know, that was like my, my my point. I would go, I had this, I had that, I had this, I had that, but really I got sober, it all went away. So what I really had was undiagnosed alcoholism. Fast forward, 28 years later, married comedic god, elegantly excellent, married to a co- comedic goddess. I start this podcast. She starts roasting me about leaving stuff around the house and the way that I leave stuff around the house. And the comments on this fucking podcast were so... Uh, I would say they were mean, but they were just like, oh, you got ADHD. Oh, this is ADHD. This looks like ADHD. I'm seeing ADHD. This is giving ADHD, ADHD, ADHD. That I finally said to myself, like, I don't like armchair psychologists that do this to people. I think it's so obnoxious when people are like, it sounds like you've got this. You seem vaccine injured. But there were so many ADHD (laughs) comments that I started to go, maybe I still have some ADHD stuff going on. Now, I'm not willing to admit that you were right commenters but i did tomorrow is my first appointment with an adhd coach to try to get my uh laura giving me a round of applause to try to get me a little bit of a handle on the way that i um, am disorganized and leave clutter around the house and it's because of your bullying that i was able to make a change so in a way online bullying is a positive thing okay so back to this woman uh he leaves all of uh the laundry thing And he leaves it in the basement, hasn't cleaned the bathroom, unloaded a dish. You get the picture. I've tried gently asking him to do these things, making him lists. And he always says he will. But when it comes down to it, doesn't have time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait, this next line is a a dinger. (laughs) This is despite the fact that he regularly stays up till 3 or 4 a.m. playing video games and staring at his phone. He's like, dude, I'm sorry. I don't have time because I'm very busy being a complete fucking loser video games and stares at his phone which in turn leaves him so exhausted he sleeps till noon and can't do anything <laughs> in the morning when i try to bring up the issue on a ge- on a grander scale he freaks out and says i'm hurting his feelings and making him feel like a bad Wait, dad laura did you specifically collect these letters for like the man bashing episode of this po- i mean this is no men are like, getting worse it that's what's like happening men-, men hey you know what i think you're right no that's why there'll be a matriarchy because men are going to just act out now for when, like when 50 does it years. start yes in please. probably 50 years okay here's the thing 
Okay, when I try to bring up the issue on a grander scale, he freaks out. All right, this guy is such a loser. You have to get out of this relationship. Hold on. He's also Hold dangerous. On. Before we call him a loser. Oh, it's the dad. Fuck. Hold on. Before we call him a loser, there is a possible other explanation that I'll he get He has to. ADHD. <laughs> he's like, oh, I can't stop. I'm so addicted to no. Minecraft. Okay, well, let's keep going. Let's keep going before I, okay. before I do the thing that I just accused our commenters of doing. He freaks out and says, I'm hurting his feelings and making him feel like a bad dad. Then when I apologize, he's right back to doing nothing. He's been the only one working for the last five months while I had the baby and got through postpartum, but I'm interviewing for jobs now and will be going back to work soon. How do I get him to do an equal share of house slash baby work or at least some so I don't lose my mind and our relationship doesn't fall apart? It's been a year of this and I'm at the end of my rope. Help. Okay. Tosh, what do you got here? Just a loser? I mean, look. Well, this is hard because now they're raising a child together. I'm also confused. She's like, he's the he's the man. He's the working man in the family. But he plays Apex Legends until four o'clock in the morning and then sleeps till noon. What's this guy's job? Oh, maybe he's working from home. Well, it doesn't matter. He's he's working. Here's so the, it looks like she's relying on him for money. Here's the possibility. <sighs> here's the here's the possible um, sympathetic um, explanation of what's going on here. This guy sounds depressed. Sounds like he's got some depression. Like this guy sounds like he's got some depression. I mean, the fact that he, you know, lazes around, plays, I, look, I love video. You know, I love video games and staring at my phone. That's my passion. But, but the fact that he's not getting anything done, sleeping till noon, won't do any like, and is defensive of, to me, I'm here. I'm hearing maybe this is like, he's got some depression and maybe even needs to be medicated. I have way harsher, harsher vibe. We, I'll just say this before you do harsher vibe. Sometimes depression being with a person that's depressed, it's like living with an asshole. And it sucks. And you are like, I hate this person. And then, but maybe they can get, if it is in fact clinical depression and not just being inconsiderate and an asshole, they can maybe get better. I think that she would not have married him if she had dated him for like a year and a half. She would have probably broke up with him because he's kind of like, mm. he, he's kind of mm. kind of a loser. That is a very smart and pull. she decided she was going to try to make this work. Maybe this is uh-huh. fate. It obviously is. I'm sure you're very happy as a mom and you have a fantasy of a family, but like, it's almost like you didn't get to pick. Exa- and I know that's a luxury sometimes, but I think you're going to have to lay down some well, rules or leave. Wait, hold on. You said, you said, I think this is, this was really smart until I started doing the math. You said if she did him for a year and a half, she wouldn't have moved in with yep. him? Yeah, I, because I, that's, because, you know, they probably were dating like eight months. It's no, just not long enough. my husband and I have been together for only a year when I got pregnant, and I we moved in when I was three months pregnant. So that's one year, three months. So you're saying if she did him for three more okay, months? Okay, two more years, one more year. Right. I don't know. Just get to know him a little more, because it's like, I mean, maybe, uh, I, we would we just don't have information. Did mm-hmm. he used to be like this? Mm-hmm. It seems like from the very start, he's like. Hold on. There's some forensics here. I truly believe he loves me with all his heart, but since I've been living here, my husband has been so insanely lazy. So she's saying that, but maybe that before she moved in, she didn't notice this kind of behavior, and now she does. So maybe he is depressed, but I also or think, or maybe he's maybe he's sexist too. Maybe he's like, oh, the woman's living here now. I can kick my feet back up and do nothing. Sounds like it, and I think it's totally fine to have more agency in your household and have a family meeting and like let the kid hear it too. Cause soon they're, you'll want them to hear it when they're like four or whatever. And just say like, we have, we need to pick up after ourselves. We need to split up the tasks. How are we going to do this? I I'm working, looking for a new job. You have a perfect excuse. Yep. You're on the job market. You're not going to be able to spend as much time. This is like a Bernstein books a Bernstein bears. plot. <laughs> a Bernstein bears so plot. Right. It's basically the it's, mom is it, trying to go do her thing. And dad is like, Oh, blah, blah. I like playing with the kid, but uh, I'll move along later. I'll put her on my knee and we can play Fallout New Vegas together <laughs> till four in the morning. I mean, this is it's going to sound like a broken record, but this is a situation. This is actually very similar to the last letter. It's just different in its circumstances, which is this is a broken relationship mm-hmm. and this cannot continue and it must be addressed in a different way. When I try to bring up the issue on a grander scale, he freaks out, says I'm hurting his feelings, 
and then I apologize. Yeah. You're apologizing again. That's the worst part about the letter because it feels like sick a little bit. Yeah, and you're apologizing for the wrong thing, right? But you don't know if he's depressed. You don't know him very well. But here's a, this is this is what happens. I see this so many times on this call. You're apo- What are you? You're apologizing for what? For the way you brought up the uh, conversation. So so it's a manipulation tactic, right? Which is there's a problem. You come to him to say, I want to talk about the problem. He says, the way you brought up the problem is toxic. And then you say, I'm so sorry for the way I brought up the problem. What happened? We never, the problem never got discussed, right? So this is, this is toxic and cannot, cannot stand. And so what needs to happen is a conversation, a meta conversation about the way you talk about the problem. And you need to put your foot down and say, we have to be able to discuss what's going on in this family. Yeah, don't do this in front of the kid. This we, is a bigger conversation. Yeah. We have to be able to do this, uh, talk about this. It's a, it, it is a boundary. And uh, we have to go to a counselor to be able to discuss this. It's a boundary. But what it, if they don't have money for a counselor? I'm, I believe that with our uh, wonderful sponsor, Talkspace... <laughs> You could find a counselor that you could afford, and or you could go look up local resources. You just need to be able to have a conversation about what's happening. This cannot. You will get divorced. There is no question. You will get if this goes on, this dynamic continues. Divorce but for sure. You can't just go to them and have a conversation without also going to therapy. Like, isn't that the first step? Just have a conversation with yes, them. Yes, it, it is. And she took that first step. When I try to bring up this issue right. on a grander scale, he freaks out and says, "I'm hurting." This is one of the things that couples counselors are so good for. I think is when there's a conversation that's so loaded and radioactive that you cannot, you literally cannot have it. There's a second conversation that can be had, which is, "I have to be able to talk to you about this stuff. It's a boundary, and so we have to go." Say it in front of somebody else. Okay, well, let me ask you this: If so, let's say she says to him, um, "I will you agree to couples counseling?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "No, I'm not doing that." Well, if she said, "This is a boundary. This must happen," then this and he she says, "I need to be able to talk to somebody about it." Then you've got a new choice, and he says, "No." Now there's a new choice: Are you going to live the rest of your life, or until you literally can't stomach it anymore, live with a person that is manipulating you and uh, using you for labor and uh, essentially being abusive, whether it's from depression or not, who knows? Or are you going to uh, get out now before you get more hurt? That's your choice at that point. There is no other choice, right? Do you stay and stay miserable and hope that something will change, that you have no evidence that it will? Or do you say, okay, I'm packing up my stuff and I'm going to go stay at my mom's place and um, and I'll give you um, I'll give you three months to decide whether you want to go to a counselor. And if not, I'm filing for divorce. Is it easy? Of course not. Well, but also, what about like, what if he gets joint custody? Is he even capable of taking care of your kid? That's another thing a mom has to worry about. Because like, what if everyone has joint thing custody dads now? have to worry about too. When I know, but I'm just, mom. I'm saying though, that's, there's a lot to consider. Of course, there's a lot to consider, but it, that doesn't make it less necessary to consider it. I mean, it doesn't, things are not, life is difficult. And sometimes you have impossible choices that you have to make. But I can tell you this. I believe that a child that is raised with a mother that cares for it uh, uh, half, the, half the week and a, and a lazy, depressed dad half the week is probably in a better situation than a child that is raised in a miserable, angry household 24-7 with, a de- with an angry, depressed dad and a mother that's miserable. I, I think that. <laughs> I think that if you Wait, be- you're saying that it's not that bad? No, I'm saying you'd be better off half the week with a mother that showed that she could stand up for herself and have I her see. emotional needs met half the week and then go to their dad that has some life uh, skills issues half the week than living their entire life in this house that is miserable and right. toxic and the mother's being taken advantage of. So and the sad. Fu- it is sad. Sometimes things are sad. Here on the Endless Honeymoon Podcast. Well, say something. All right. That was a depressing one. All right. Well, let's... Maybe this one will be... Okay. This is the last one. Okay. Okay. Hey, is this one my turn? Do I read this one? Yeah. Okay. Hey, Moshe and Natasha. I have loved you both since the Tabutash days. I... By the way, didn't mention this to you. Should have told you. I was in line. Yeah. At Burning Man. Driving out about three hours into my drive out and I saw this person come out of an RV 
skipping through the lanes, flying a kite, like really fly, like just I was and I noticed them. I was like, what the hell? This person's just like a little too happy. And they turned around, they looked at me, they walked right over to me. They had like big old drop pant crotch pants, and they go, You're pig bottom. <laughs> From Tubble and Toss. Like, You're pig bottom. I go, Yeah, I am. And and it was uh, watch tubbing tubbing with Tosh on YouTube. Why didn't we keep doing that? That was such a mistake, Tosh. No, it wasn't because we um we did a we did a episode or a season and it got it got scrapped. Got scrapped. It got and then we damaged. lost our mojo. We lost our damaged. mojo. We did a whole season of tubbing with Tosh that was uh where we interviewed who do we interview? Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Big Frida, um a bunch of EDM bands. Jenny and Slate. We were in, and yeah, we were in the back. Of, we were in a, t- a hot tub in the back of a limo. It was awesome. And then whoever was in charge of it forgot to the fact that if you do um a audio based interview show uh, a thousand feet from a music festival, there'll be some audio issues. And we just never really, it literally couldn't understand it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. I've loved you since the Tub with Tosh days. Here's my issue. My partner and I have a great life and seemingly supportive parents. But recently, when I'm alone with his dad, I've noticed he talks to me fairly disrespectfully. Ew. When we are all together, I am either ignored or spoken to with just a tinge more respect. I brought it up with my partner. (laughs) I was basically told. I'm not laughing at you. I just like, I cannot imagine being in this environment. I brought it up with my partner and was basically told that's just how he talks. And if if it bothers me to let my partner know and he will handle it fair enough a couple weeks later a friend of mine who frequents my partner's dad's small restaurant informed me that his dad often will get drunk and talk about how upset he is that my partner his son is gay and that it quote makes him sick end quote his father has no clue that he's been venting while while one of my best friends is in his restaurant to me this confirms my suspicions that he is treating me differently due to his own homophobia I have been sitting on this for weeks, and it makes my stomach turn not telling him. But I don't want to hurt my partner or mess up their fairly close relationship. Do I keep this a secret? Do I confront his dad directly in private? Do I tell my partner, help, gay and not okay? Ooh, this is a real dilemma. I mean, this is, why is everything so hard? Life is hard. But I think I know what this person should do. Because I'm, I'm like, I, 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 it's so hard, but I wouldn't want to like start a fight with one of your parents, especially mm-hmm. knowing they're hostile. But you have to. But that's me. You have to add in the part that it's like one of my parents. But how will change ever happen if we don't act starts, like that? The, the if go- we just make that like the ghost completely my, unacceptable. The ghost of my dad is disrespecting you. <laughs> and then uh, one of your friends. This is the part where I have a, it almost feels like hard to believe a friend. One of my best friends is sitting in his small restaurant <laughs> overhearing him complaining. It's like, are we sure this is true? <laughs> it's like this guy's buddy. It's like twirling spaghetti going like, what the? Why well, is- I guess you just have to take take it that maybe there he has said something like that. Mm-hmm. People usually have an instinct about this. Yeah. So he probably senses it. If this is true, this is what I think I would do. You tell me, Natasha, this is insane. Okay. The next time they're alone together. He and his partner? He and the dad. Because he oh, says he no. disrespects him. Oh my God. What would you do? Okay, okay you go. talk me through it. No, I'm just getting I'm just getting like uh, yeah, really I, uncomfortable. I this is uncomfortable. I mean, honestly, the the, the, the the What was your suggestion? Say to the dad, look, I know why you're you know, I feel like you talk disrespectfully to me, and I think I know why. Because I have a friend that's been going to your small little oh bistro. My God, they, you can this why you. why is everybody so afraid of being direct and honest well, what would also you it's do gossip it's like my friend said and the friend might get mad like you know okay, and then well, you're like I- then you're like just sparring with like he said she said okay. with like do you have a problem with me sir because i feel like you probably do and i think it's because i'm gay is that right <laughs> what would you do what is the choice here i would tell my partner that i think that's why and then just try to avoid them as much as possible that, that is not honestly the problem is he doesn't have an ally in this, which is because that, his partner really loves I his love dad. daddy and he loved dad. And he finally got dad support, even though he's gay. But yeah. now he's like lashing out at the partner. Well, if this is true, it, I, I mean, it's just hard for me oh, to imagine. Okay. Oh, in, I know. In oh. his small restaurant four times a week, this guy's like getting drunk going, <laughs> I hate my gay son. He makes me <laughs> sick. It's. A, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, this is a tough, a tough one. Yeah, I guess. I guess. 
maybe the thing to do here is to go oh. to your partner and say, you know what? Your dad's been disrespecting me and I knew it had something more to do with that. It had something to do with more than just like how he talks because I knew I just had a feeling. And my friend just went to your dad's restaurant and he was being super homophobic. And well, say, friend, it all sounds kind of catty. Well, so what if it's catty? I mean, so the dad hating his son's uh, sexuality and taking it out on his partner sounds pretty catty to me, too. Okay, I have a question. What do you want from his dad? Do you want him to be your friend? Do you want to have a close relationship like your your partner has? Or I now know what, what to do. Yeah, like I want to know what you want from it. Do you I, want his respect? What do you want? Yeah, I I, I know. I know. I, I, if, I now know what to do. I'm, this one's unfortunate, but it's pretty obvious. I think what he does... As he says to his partner, look, I know you say that the way your dad talks to me is just the way he talks. But the truth is, I know that it's not that. I know that it has to do with homophobia. Um, how do you know? Look, I just know and I'll tell you if you press me. Well, how? Because my friend overheard him being extremely homophobic at his restaurant. Hold on. Let me, let me just finish this. And here's the thing. I'm not going to go around your dad anymore. That's, that's to me, that's the deal. That's what you have to say. It's not going to the dad and confronting him. It's telling your partner, this is the reason I feel disrespected. I have this information and I'm not going to go around your dad anymore. At least not until you have a talk with him about this stuff. Okay. Well, this is a huge thing to unpack for like whoever he, you know, cause it's like they're close. So he's like, I'm not going to hang out with them anymore. You're creating a riff and or a rift. However you say I mean, it. How often are you alone with my mom? No, We're married. No, but here's the problem. He's going to tell his partner that the person at the bar said he's mad he has a gay son and that's going to make the the son be so upset and like question all that is so sacred what? and then so? they're just going to cause like a huge well, he family should, he should live in ignorance if this is true and his father is literally getting drunk and being homophobic all you got to do all you got to do is imagine that this is not a gay couple uh but this is, in fact, an interracial couple, okay, and um, and and mm-hmm. and that and that she's the the partner is like I just he's disrespectful to me, but I, God, I feel like I feel like it's actually racism, but I don't know, am I being paranoid? And then that person's friend is like, dude, I gotta tell you, yeah, I was at the <laughs> January six rally. You're so right, and I saw your dad screaming racist epithets at. at You're at, right. And it's like, what's what's that person supposed so to do? So you have to say something. You got to say something. I know that your dad's homophobic because he got drunk the other night at his own restaurant and started saying super homophobic stuff, not just generally, but about us. This is what I overheard. Maybe it's a rumor. Maybe it isn't. This is what I heard. And I feel like when he talks to me or you've already said the other thing because he mm-hmm. said that's just how he is. You know, and, uh, and that's the subtlety of homophobia yeah. is that sometimes it can be it can be difficult to see it for what it is. And if you reframe it into into race, you go, oh, that's unacceptable, which means that there's some part of society that says, oh, it's a little more acceptable, actually, if it's homophobia. But if you just put it into those terms, you go, oh, no, no nobody would live with that. No one should put up with that. Moshe, we need to get bumper stickers that say say something. I know. I, it, it sort of feels like the only advice there is. Say something. If you see something, say something. Okay. Well, listen, we got to go pick if up our daughter from school. Gay something. Gay and okay. We say on the Endless Honeymoon podcast, gay is okay. And we got to go on our way to pick up our, our daughter. And uh, don't forget to pre-order my book. Okay. The link to the book, it's in the description of today's episode. If you have any secrets... Call us, 213-222-8608. Also, no, yeah, that's right. But no phone sex, okay? Yeah, that's true. Actually, yes, phone sex. No, don't Has anyone do that. ever left a horny message? Yes. Endless Honeymoon Pod at Gmail. Send us a letter. Tell us what your woes are, and you maybe we'll address on. them at some point. Yeah, uh, you can be our, a member of our Patreon. Find us on YouTube. Find us on Instagram. Find us wherever you are. Come see us live. At the beginning of this very episode, we probably had a little bumper about our live stand-up dates. We'd love to see you at a show very soon. Oh, and Natasha. Yeah. Before I forget. What? You know, say something. I need to say something. What? I love you. I love you too.